Welcome to It's So Interesting, the travel podcast that takes you on a journey to discover the fascinating and unique aspects of traveling, different cultures, landscapes, and people from around the world. Join us as we explore the hidden gems and lesser-known destinations and, of course, the most famous places that make travel so enriching and unforgettable. Here we share stories, tips, and insights to help you plan your next adventure and make the most of your travels. So sit back, relax, and let's embark on a journey of discovery together. This episode is about a golden ticket, a fascinating story about what was supposed to be a great deal turned into a lawsuit. Annie Kopchowski was the first woman to travel around the world on a bicycle, a stalker in Milan, and a phenomenal Christiania in Copenhagen. First of all, it's International Women's Day today, and we want to say thank you to every woman out there for being the voice, the strength, the fighter, the creator, the advocate, and the mother for being everything and changing our world for the best. So grateful to live during those times when we can almost have equal rights, make decisions for ourselves, and do what we want to do. Not all women, not everywhere, but we are getting there. And all the work that has been done through the years will eventually bring results. Since the occasion, we would like to dedicate some time in this episode to Annie Kopchowski, also known as Annie Londonderry, the first woman to travel around the world by bicycle. The beginning of this story is not that exciting. It all started in the end of 19th century in the United States when a young mother of three children, Annie Kopchowski, and her husband barely made ends meet. When one day in 1894, they heard that two businessmen from Boston bet on whether a woman could travel the world by bicycle to accomplish a goal first reached by a man in 1885. The initial conditions were the following. The woman had to travel around the globe in 15 months and make $5,000 on the way. At the same time, it was forbidden to accept money as a gift, ask for donations, and to earn money through journalism. Draconian terms, right? Yeah. However, Annie was chosen for the adventure and she was full of enthusiasm. At first, she signed a contract with the London Dairy Mineral Water Company. She hung a sign on her bike advertising the London Dairy Lithia Spring Water Company and became Annie London Dairy. This brought her $100 to start with. Her main income was from selling advertising space on her bike and person, hanging ribbons, signs for products ranging from bicycles bicycle tires to perfume. During her travels, she gave lectures about her adventures, often exaggerating her exploits. This boosted her popularity. For instance, in France, she described herself as an orphan, a wealthy heiress, a Harvard medical student, the inventor of a new method of stenography, and the niece of the US senator. While in the United States, she told stories about hunting tigers in India with German royalty and getting sent to Japanese prison with a bullet wound. She also gave cycling demonstration and sold promotional photos of herself, souvenir pins and autographs. While she sailed for large portions of her journey, she made it back to Boston in just under 15 months, having traveled as a lone cyclist with a pearl revolver for protection for long stretches. She collected a $10,000 
$1,000 prize for completing her journey, returned to her husband and three young children, and moved to New York where she became a journalist for the New York World, starting her career with an account of her journey. While she soon retired to raise her family, Kopchovsky's achievement gave many women the confidence to explore the world. The story of Annie Kopchovsky's journey around the world can be safely attributed to one of the first reality shows with sponsors, viewers, meetings, and so on. Annie was a master of public relations, a consummate self-promoter, and a skillful creator of her own image. We can say she was not only the first woman to cycle around the world, but the first travel blogger. It's so interesting that was it safe uh, to travel solo as a woman back then? I mean, ships, uh, unfamiliar places, she was alone on a bike. Well, that's a good question. I tend to think that nowadays it is much safer as the world evolves towards safety and protection. But now I think she would write about it in her stories if she felt insecure in some places. Hmm, interesting. I would write about how I felt insecure after a stalker in Milan. Oh, true. That episode affected my sense of safety either. To start this story, you need to know that at the time we lived in Berlin, I think it was 2013, and in Berlin we have always felt safe. Like, in general, walking home late from a bar as two young girls have never been a problem and have never scared us. And at a certain point, we were relaxed about vigilance. But then we went to Milan. We stayed there for a couple of days as we were supposed to meet our friend from Lithuania there. But last minute she canceled the trip due to family issues. So we had to rethink our plans and modify our trip. Eventually we randomly visited a Bacardi music show on the main square with the British band Kasabian playing there. It was a great experience. Also we visited the Monza circuit, not for F1 Grand Prix, but there was another motor racing and was super interesting and lots of fun. And more importantly, we went to Genoa for the first time, our favorite precious gem in Italy. Oh, we love it so much and are super glad that our plans changed that way and we ended up in Genoa. Highly recommended, by the way. Oh, we are as usual. Not a single story is short when we tell it. <laughs> yeah, so Milan. We were walking home to our hotel after some night out in the city center. We were walking and walking and walking when at a certain point we realized that there was a man following us. At first we thought that it might be a coincidence and it could be not what it seemed to be. So we decided to check and find out. We started walking in the labyrinths, changing sides of the street, walking back to the same place we just been to and we realized that he was following us or better say stalking and it is important to mention that it wasn't late at night it was like around 11 p.m but there were not so many people on the streets and in the area where we were there were no cafes bars or restaurants to come in at this moment we realized that we had to be attentive and vigilant so i took a lighter from my bag and was holding it in my hand i don't know how i expected it would protect us but as a distracting maneuver it could work eventually it helped us because this man at some moment of our walk overtook us on the other side of the street and came at us from up front and you know what he did he came to us and asked for a lighter 
It was a moment of destiny when I had a lighter in my hand, so I just gave it to him straight away. He lit up his cigarette and gave it back and we walked away. To the present day, I'm sure it was his trick to catch us off guard and rob us when we should start looking for the lighter. But seriously, not the best choice to ask two girls for a lighter. Yes, it just happens so that we always have lighters in our bags. Always they can come in handy in different situations and especially like this one. So you think it was over at that moment? No, it wasn't. For a moment we were relieved and thought that we were just mistaken and the guy just needed a lighter, but he continued following us. He went to the other side of the street and was walking along with us. Suddenly we saw a bar with an open door and rushed there. When we came in, they said they were already closed. When we turned around, we saw that the man was waiting for us outside. We explained the situation to the bartender and asked them for permission to stay inside for several minutes. He didn't mind, but we had to think about what to do next. So as soon as we realized that we were close to the train station, we decided to go there because in any case there had to be some security or police we could reach out to. So the moment we left the bar, we started running towards the central station. As we were there, we didn't see that man anymore. Probably he realized that he wouldn't get us when we were in the bar. But guys, honestly, that was scary and so uncertain. One of those situations when you have to think fast and react immediately. It can happen anywhere, but our story took place in Milan. We got home that day constantly looking back. And staying one more day in Milan, we were acting like super concerned, over-attentive, high-alert people. But it's better to be suspicious than become a victim. So ladies, be careful and always take care of yourself. Don't be shy to ask people for help. When we told this story to our friend some years later, he laughed and said probably that men just wanted to get acquainted with us. Uh-huh, whatever it was, we are glad that it all ended well. But you know what didn't end well? A golden ticket for Steve Rothstein, a good for life. Go anywhere American Airlines Pass. In the early 1980s, American Airlines rolled out A Air Pass, a prepaid membership program that let very frequent flyers purchase discounted tickets in advance. By locking in a certain number of annual miles, they presumed they might fly. Steve Rothstein, a frequent traveler, purchased it. Then, a few years later, American Airlines introduced something straight out of an avid traveler's fantasy – an unlimited ticket. The program initially enabled pass holders unlimited first-class travel on any of the airline's flights worldwide. Lifetime membership was priced at $250,000, with the option to purchase a companion pass for an additional $150,000. A total of 66 A Air passes are reported to have been sold under unlimited travel conditions. Steve Rothstein became one of those people to purchase an unlimited lifetime American Air Pass. A quarter of a million dollars gave him access to fly first class anywhere in the world on American Airlines for the rest of his life. He flew so much that it paid for itself. In 2007, during a period of financial instability for the airline, American Airlines assigned a revenue integrity unit to investigate Air Pass holders. The airline's investigators 
authors concluded that two AARPS holders, Stephen Rothstein and Jacques Vroom, were costing the airline more than $1 million annually. The airline points to the accumulation of air miles for flights that they receive for free under the AARPS, allowing some passengers to accumulate tens of millions of miles, as well as taxes and airport fees paid by the airline. The two AARPS holders, including their companion passes, were terminated from the program when the airline accused them of fraudulent activity. On December 13, 2008, Rothstein checked in at Chicago International Airport with a friend for a flight to Bosnia. A letter from the airline was hand-delivered to him at the airport informing him that the pass had been terminated due to the fraudulent behavior. Specifically, his history of approaching passengers at the gate and offering them travel on his companion seat and for using the companion program to purchase an adjacent empty seat under a fake name to keep them vacant, which was often used for privacy or extra carry-on luggage. He booked flights under fake names for the companion, such as Bag Rothstein, if he didn't know who his companion would be, a practice that the airline used to accuse him of fraud. In 2011, Rothstein lost his case against American Airlines, in which he sued the airline for revoking an air pass, citing fraudulent usage. In the end, he got around $21 million worth of flying out of American Airlines with that pass. Not bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the less popular story of Jacques Vroom, a Dallas-based marketing executive, also didn't end with success. He paid $356,000 for his unlimited air pass and companion pass in 1989. He traveled nearly 38 million miles. A letter was hand-delivered to Vroom by airline security personnel on July the 30th, 2008, during check-in at London Heathrow Airport, informing him that his passes had been terminated for fraudulent activity. The airline sued Vroom in 2011, accusing him of selling his companion seat, a violation of the American Airlines uh, 1994 Tariff Rule 744. Vroom countersued, arguing that the rule went into effect after the purchase of the lifetime pass and accusing the airline of slander. American Airlines then filed for bankruptcy and the claims were never resolved. And now we have this story. And what a great offer it was, I must say. Yes, for sure. There are so many fascinating things and stories in the world, like, for example, Christiania in Copenhagen. You can't visit Copenhagen and not visit Christiania. At the entrance, there is a sign. Attention, you are leaving the territory of the EU. And it is indeed another territory that doesn't feel like a city more like a totally different country. The inhabitants of Christiania proclaimed their goal to create and maintain a self-governing society in which all are free to develop and express themselves, as responsible members of the community, of course. The commune has its own legislature, treasury, television channel, radio station, newspaper. There are cafes, restaurants, music clubs, yoga studios, tattoo and souvenir shops. There is also a candle factory and a cosmetics factory. You will be surprised that Bob Dylan and Metallica performed at the local rock club in Christiania. The free town and micronation Christiania have their own flag and anthem, the song They Can't Kill Us. 
It began in 1971 as a squatted military base. Its Pusher Street is famous for its open trade of cannabis, which is illegal in Denmark. However, after unfortunate incident taking place in Christiania resulting in shooting two policemen and a civilian by a drug dealer, it was decided that the stalls in Pusher Street, by far the site of the largest cannabis sale in Denmark, should be removed, which happened on the 2nd of September 2016. The main income of Christiania is a unit comes from the tourist sector and the Christmas seasons. More than a million tourists visit Christiania every year. All businesses in Christiania belong to the community and each of its members participates in making decisions and using the budget. You can book a tour to Christiania to explore it with a guide who will tell interesting stories or you can go on your own. Both are great experiences and Christiania is totally worth visiting, at least for its long-lasting phenomenal existence. And on this note, we thank you for listening. Hope this episode was interesting and if you like it, share it with your friends. You know, it means a lot to us because it is always cheering up to see that what we do finds the listeners. Also, follow the podcast to not miss the next episode that will be out in a week. Also, follow us on Instagram to find out more and don't miss cool tips and stories about traveling. We are Julia and Mira from The Workstream. Thank you. Until next time.